The Interchange is brought to you by STEM. STEM is a global leader in artificial intelligence-driven energy storage services. By combining advanced energy storage with Athena, a world-class AI-powered analytics platform, STEM enables customers and partners to optimize energy use by switching between battery power, on-site generation, and grid power for both behind-the-meter and in-front-of-the-meter projects. Find out more at STEM.com. We're also brought to you by GTM Creative Strategies. If you've ever heard one of our custom podcasts or heard about our podcast sponsors and wondered how can I get involved, well, just go to GTM Creative Strategies, greentechmedia.com slash creative, and you can learn more. Green Tech Media Podcast. This is The Interchange, conversations on the future of energy from Green Tech Media. I'm Stephen Lacey, a contributing editor at GTM. Hello, welcome, thanks for being here. This week, how an innocuous grid model became a threat to Trump's efforts to save coal and then languished inside the Department of Energy. It's one of many pieces of research that have been suppressed or changed by the current administration. What does it tell us about the systematic dismantling of government under Trump? And what are the implications for a cleaner grid? And what is this study anyway? Shale is out this week. Journalist Peter Fairley joins us to talk about his investigation into this story. He just wrote a blockbuster piece for The Atlantic and Investigate West. It was a collaboration between those two publications detailing what happened within the Department of Energy when word got out about a grid integration project that a research engineer was working on. It's got plenty of drama, plenty of wonk, the perfect fit for this show. Peter, hello. How are you? I am well. It's good to be here, Stephen. How long have you been working on this piece? Well, it first crossed my desk or arrived in my phone January 2019, so that's over a year and a half. So tell us about where it started. When it arrived at your desk, what did you hear? Uh, what set you on these questions about whether research was being uh, changed or suppressed within the Department of Energy? So back in 2017, I wrote a story for Scientific American magazine Looking at the most advanced power grid modeling out there, models that co-optimize the expansion of the power system, both the generation and the transmission, and look at how you can best do that to accommodate the renewable energy future that we know is coming our way. And one of the modeling efforts that it really zeroed in on was from the National Renewable Energy Lab. It was called the SEAMS study. And the SEAMS study was supposed to be finished right around the middle of 2018, right, when that story ran in Scientific American. So, you know, naturally I was watching to see the final report come out and nothing appeared. And in January 2019, basically an, an insider, one of the many industry people who were associated with that study and uh, let me know that it had run into a wall at the Department of Energy, that the political people there weren't happy with the findings, and that they were burying it. And so let's talk about how it got buried. And then I want to talk about the implications of the research itself. So your piece focuses on a research engineer at NREL, National Renewable Energy Laboratory, named Joshua Novacek, and a project leader named Aaron Bloom. And in the 2018 time frame, um, sort of in the middle of when, you know, the, the, the story started for you 
and then you picked it back up and started reporting on it. Joshua Novacek was at an event uh, talking about this SEAMS study, and and then something happened. What what happened? Right. So he's at this one-day grid forum in Kansas, organized by this guy, Tom Sloan. He was a Kansas state legislator who was personally fascinated with transmission and recognized the sort of strategic importance of transmission for the energy system. He's got some high-powered guests there. And Josh Novacek, this young researcher at NML, is presenting. And unfortunately for him, there's a deputy assistant secretary from DOE's Office of Electricity that's sitting in the audience. And she is not liking what she's hearing. She gets on her cell phone while he's still giving his presentation and fires off a note to DOE headquarters to throw a red flag in the air. Okay, so I want to talk about what happens next. But first, let's just take a step back and discuss exactly what he is presenting at this event. So when we talk about the seam study, what we're talking about is this hard and fast seam or barrier between the eastern and western grid. And what he's looking at is how to integrate those grids, what it would do to accelerate renewable energy, and then ultimately what it might do to accelerate the demise of coal. So talk about exactly what they're modeling here and what this seam is. Sure. So people talk about the grid. In fact, there are multiple grids. In North America, there are five or six So these are giant zones of interconnected power plants, power lines, basically everything down to your coffee grinder. And the east and the west are connected with little DC interties. So you've got these substations basically sitting between the grids and they can share a little bit of power. And to give you a sense of how small it is, the east and the west grids have a total of about 950 gigawatts of total power generation capacity. The amount of power that can flow between them is currently about 1.3 gigawatts. So you've got seven converter stations that are stitching these two big grids together, but they're tiny little weak stitches. So what the SEAM study set out to, to do was to say, okay, you know, those converter stations were built in like the 70s, they're aging, they're going to need to be replaced. And maybe we can replace them with something more strategic. And that's going to enable the kind of national grid that could really help us exchange renewable energy between regions and decarbonize, bring down costs, et cetera. They studied three different designs. One would just allow those converter stations stitching the grids together to expand a bit. The second design would build three long DC power lines, HVDC, running east-west. And then the third design that they looked at was what people call a supergrid. You're overlaying a meshed network of DC lines that can move power really from coast to coast. So they came up with a highly optimized system. This doesn't sound controversial at all. I mean, most administrations, when they come in, take a pretty neutral view of building transmission. I think that there's generally it's seen as like the kind of infrastructure that administrations, both Democratic and Republican, want to build. The Trump administration, as far as I can tell, is not anti-transmission. So you've got someone here who's saying, hey, we can optimize the system. 
pursuing one of these three scenarios for connecting these grids, why was it suddenly so controversial? There are really two things that make it controversial. When you build transmission, you inevitably make the whole system more efficient. Generally speaking, you allow generators to serve a larger area, and that brings competition between generators and tends to shut down the less efficient generators. In this case, today, that's coal. So just making a better grid is bad for coal. In fact, their study shows that you know coal shutdowns increase by over 50%, as, as much as 80%, when you enhance the power exchanges between the East and the West. The other thing that makes the study controversial is they used a carbon tax in their scenario. Now, this was done at the suggestion of their industry review committee. One of the things that really sets this study apart is how much they reached out to industry and brought them in so that the results and the findings would be relevant. So they assumed a carbon tax, and that carbon tax based on industry assumptions, was like pretty pretty reasonable, but yeah. not reasonable to the Trump administration? Let me tell you why it, was, why it was put there. It wasn't that they said, you know, we're going to have a carbon tax in the future, so we better study that. The real reason why they suggested putting that in there was because they wanted to make sure that the simulations they were running would look at a power system that was relevant to the future. And what they were really concerned about was how much renewable energy would be built, okay? So if you were to just say, take the official numbers and projections from the Energy Information Administration, right? The DOE's official statistics group. Historically, those have underestimated the growth of wind and solar power. So you need some other, some means of boosting the renewable power installation over time, over the 15-year study period that they were looking at, in order to make sure that you're simulating a future relevant grid. And that's, so that's what the role of the carbon tax was. It was to push more wind and solar into the system in a rational way, such that the study would be you know, more accurate and relevant. Right. So a very reasonable thing to put into your model, uh, unreasonable, according to the person who saw this presentation and then pushed it up the line at DOE. So what was the reaction? And then what happened? So the reaction was that the it, there, were, there were two presentations, one in Iowa and then the one in Kansas. That's the one where the shit really hit the fan, so to speak. News coverage of those presentations catches people at the DOE by surprise. And so you've got these top people at the DOE calling down and saying, what the hell is, is this? And within days or a week of that presentation in Kansas, the NREL team has been grounded. Josh Novacek was supposed to get on a plane the following week and present at the Seagray conference in Paris, which is like the annual global confab for power systems. Aaron Bloom cancels three talks that he's scheduled to give. They're told not to talk to anybody outside of NREL, not even their co-authors, the industry partners, not even their contract officer at DOE. 
Various items are taken off of the website, such as a draft of an article that they've worked up for a top journal, which they had you know, put up there to get feedback on. And that draft, in short order, starts to mutate as DOE officials and NREL officials try and cleanse the study's results of these touchy political keywords like coal and carbon. So... As you're talking to folks about this, you have, you know, sourced this story and talked to people who have touched this story. What, how are they characterizing this? I mean, what were the frustrations? What was there? Was there anger? Was there surprise? How were people reacting to this internally? I have to be a little careful here because I want to protect my sources. But let me talk about, you know, what I've heard since it's been published, since it ran in the Atlantic. I've heard from multiple people who are either still at DOE or NREL or were previously there and left. I've heard about a lot of frustration from them facing similar political interference, new requirements for pre-publication review of papers, things that are have been stuck languishing for six months plus. So the article itself has really hit a nerve It's really exposed for me just the degree to which this kind of interference is fueling a brain drain in the federal government, basically driving out people who can go elsewhere where it's less frustrating. Well, coming up, we'll talk about the consequences and where this fits into uh, the broader range of research that has gotten hung up within the Trump administration. First, a quick word about our sponsors. We're brought to you by STEM. STEM is the largest network of energy storage systems with over 790 megawatt hours deployed around the globe in more than 1,000 sites. By combining advanced energy storage solutions with an AI-powered analytics platform called Athena, STEM enables customers and partners to optimize energy use by automatically switching between battery power, on-site generation, and grid power for both behind-the-meter and in-front-of-the-meter projects. STEM supports more than 360 customers all around the world who benefit from clean, adaptive energy infrastructure and who are trying to achieve a wide variety of goals, including sustainability, environmental responsibility, corporate innovation, and resilience. Partners of STEM can become energy storage experts in STEM's partner program and enroll in a series of certifications via STEM University. To learn more, go to a GTM-hosted webinar, which you can find at stem.com and that's tuesday september 8th and they'll talk all about those offerings okay peter so you outlined some of the consequences the broader consequences are that smart engineers people who are serving government are now feeling like they don't have a place within an institution like doe or in a laboratory like the national renewable energy laboratory as best you can tell, how how big of a problem is this? You know, I I, I hearken back to Michael Lewis's book, The Fifth Risk, um, when at the beginning of the Trump administration, he talked about a variety of agencies that were understaffed, were getting people, top minds pushed out. He talked about the DOE, but mostly about nuclear risk within the DOE. But this is exactly the kind of thing that he was talking about at the beginning of the administration. And so your story shows very specifically how this is happening on the clean energy side, on the grid modeling side. Tell me a little bit more about the stakes as you've uncovered this story. We've talked a little bit about the human stakes. I think there's a policy consequence, there's a sort of an opportunity cost. 
And that opportunity cost is in modernizing the power grid and in linking it together. So, you know, just to take seams, for example, on the micro level, the seven power converters that connect the East and the West in the U.S. are all within the footprint of the Southwest Power Pool, SPP, a regional transmission organization that that serves like a dozen states and a province or two in Canada. They were counting on this study to really ignite a conversation within their community and within the transmission operators and utilities on either side of the Rockies about what they were going to do in very practical terms with these aging converters. That conversation has not started. So, you know, two years later, after the study was supposed to be out, nothing's happened, not even a start. And on a broader level, we've lost an opportunity or a move towards longer distance connections and creating a more national grid. I'm sure probably many of your listeners have read Russell Gold's book, Superpower, which you know looks at the demise of, uh, of one company's effort to build long DC power lines that would do kind of what the seams designs set out to do. You know, that's, that was really tracking a story that ended in 2016, 2017. Since then, I think largely speaking, people have given up on trying to build those lines. And when you can't even publish a study, you know, looking at the possibility of building them, you can see the political resistance there. So we talked a little bit about this on our other podcast, The Energy Gang. And Catherine Hamilton, one of our co-hosts who worked at the National Renewable Energy Laboratory for many years, said, hey, when you know, we, we would change the context of reports all the time when a new administration would come in. Under the George W. Bush administration, we would kind of put a halt to some research, maybe change the framing a little bit and then move forward with it. And it seems to happen a lot under a new administration. Someone will accelerate something. Someone will pull something back. So in, in, in the history historical context, it's not abnormal to have these kinds of changes. Certainly, the Trump administration is very different in the way that it has specifically targeted climate change, stripping it out of reports, targeting people who have gone to climate conferences, suppressed certain reports that are good for clean energy. But I guess, like, could they could the researchers simply just change the language, go along with some of this reframing and then still get the technical study out there? Or is this just completely hung up now? I mean, they tried to do that in 2018 and DOE still didn't allow them to publish it. Um, Who knows? It could come out tomorrow. It could never see the light of day. So as best you can tell, what is happening here? Is this simply because the Trump administration is promising to bring back coal and these actions are an extension of its outward coal policy um, and its embrace of the coal industry? I mean, is how, how direct of a connection are we talking? You know, I think of Michael Cohen and what he told Congress. Remember, he, he said Mr. Trump didn't have to spell everything out for us. You knew what he wanted you to do. I kind of feel like the same uh, mafia mentality was operating at the Department of Energy and at other agencies. There's this idea that you need to serve the boss. You don't want to be the guy or the woman who creates a problem for him or says something that's against policy, et cetera. Okay, so here we are just a few months away from the election. Uh, what happens under either scenario? One would assume that the Trump administration will 
keep hanging this up. But what happens if there's a Biden administration? What happens to this kind of grid research? And how could it be put into action? I think it's fair to say that history has shown us that the politicization under Trump is probably going to get worse if he's reelected. Although who knows, you know, maybe there's a day when they decide that coal really is a lost cause and they fall back to defending natural gas and petroleum, in which case you might see a, a pivot in terms of how they deal with transmission. There's a lot of energy policy that could point to more natural gas, especially with California's recent blackouts, for example, there there are those who would say that we're going to need more natural gas plants in the future, even if we use them less so that we can deal with these increasing climate extremes, for example. If Biden wins, I think it's it's fair to assume that the SEAM study and studies like it will find their way out and life will become better for people who want to do that kind of research. I'm not as sanguine about a new era of government transparency. President Obama promised to have the most open and transparent administration in history. And uh, myself and my colleagues, fellow environment journalists, definitely did not experience that. Yes, that's certainly true. Under a Biden administration, we would probably see this kind of research uh, find its way out there and, and have an influence. But for journalists, it's a slog no matter what the administration. Peter Fairley is a science and energy journalist. He writes for a diverse range of publications, including The Atlantic, Scientific American, New Scientist, Hakai Magazine, and Nature. His latest piece was in The Atlantic and Investigate West, and it was all about the SEAM study and what happened to it within the Trump administration, and we will link to it there in the show notes. Peter, thank you so much for joining us. It was a great pleasure, Stephen. Shail Khan is my regular co-host. He'll be back next week. Ingrid Lobet is our senior editor. Sean Marquand makes the show. The Interchange is a co-production of Postscript Audio and Green Tech Media. If you want to suggest story ideas, interview subjects, uh, anything for us to talk about, hit us up on Twitter, and we will catch you next week. This is The Interchange, conversations on the future of energy from Green Tech Media. Mm-hmm.